Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Pursuing simplicity means to uh, get rid of everything in my life that's taking my focus off God. Basically, it's getting the distractions out of your life, all the television, Facebook, social media, all those things that get in the way between God and, and you. Spending my time and my money on what I'm focused on. Understanding what is important to you, and I think for a lot of people, maybe um, we don't spend a lot of time actually thinking about what is important, and we just pursue for the sake of pursuing. To be simple is, not, is to be frugal, uh, not to be extravagant, uh, live a simple lifestyle, um, that's what it means to me, just be yourself. Being very conscious of not letting materialism gain a foothold in my life and not defining myself and my choices by the world standards of success. Focusing on what's truly important to you, such as relationships in your life as friends, families, and other people. Internal simplicity is not so much something to be pursued as something to be experienced. Someone once said that the best things in life are still free. We sold our TV and I'm learning to play the piano. And we have a pretty quite small house and we're not planning to move to a bigger house. Being really intentional about what we purchase and really thinking about whether we need it or not and then always making sure we have the money before we buy it. Not always having to have brand new things all the time. We share our lawnmowers with our neighbors we also help each other out, our neighbors and our, us. I work part-time um, on purpose so that I have two extra days to just be flexible and to love people simply, um, whether it's just meeting them for coffee, encouraging them. We purposely didn't build up our life as our income built so that when I left my work to have our children, we could do that without changing our lifestyle. And I had people question us about that. How has your lifestyle changed? And we had to think about it and said, it hasn't because we never lived on two incomes. We only ever lived on one income. So we're trying to live a simple life by actually practicing those things we are learning. Some things that get in the way to make it difficult are, you know, friends that you hang out with, um, while they may not influence you directly, their decisions may shape you as a person. And also just things you see around uh, in general, uh, social media, Keeping up with Facebook or your friends on Facebook and social media, that can all get into in, in the way. Um, technology, uh, social media. There's these new technologies that you, most of us, we want that, we, we, we want this new, something new. I think it would still be um, living your priorities and your values in a culture that doesn't value what you value and will judge you based on your role and based on your achievements, and based on your bank accounts. And I guess to put it simply too, the other thing that makes it difficult is, is um, could be ego. I think just being tempted not to keep up with what everyone else is doing, and just not falling into that trap of, I need everything that everyone else has. It's difficult to pursue simplicity um, when I feel I deserve. North America is a very affluent country, but we always want more. We're never satisfied. Key for us for living simply is 
choosing to define yourself by what, how God would define you. To focus on God, family, and spending your resources more wisely. Allowing yourself to be fed by Jesus. The most important thing to me is sticking to our commitment to study and spend time together as a family and just grow in our faith together as we continuously walk with the Lord. And my advice to younger people is forget about all the other people. Live your own life. I'd say a key to simplicity is um, identity. Again, when you know who you are and what you're called to, uh, simplicity comes naturally. Contentment. Being happy with who you are, where you are, what you're doing, and every, everything around you. Knowing your strengths and weaknesses, knowing how God made you, and living within that. I think key to living simply is, is to say yes to what are the precious few things in your life, uh, because it's so easy to say yes to the important many things. Personally, I like to think about how Jesus lived. Uh, he had nothing. He didn't even, he didn't have a place to rest his head. He didn't have anywhere to live. He traveled with nothing. He had nothing. And we have everything. We have so much abundance and, and um, just trying to remember that even if we didn't have all these things, as long as we keep our focus on Jesus and on God, we'll have everything we need. Welcome all of you here at Central Campus and also those of you who are joining us online in the Calgary area and also beyond, as well as those of you who are meeting together at one of our regional campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland, South Calgary, and Crowfoot Theatres in Northwest Calgary. So um, we're in a new series we're calling The Pursuit of Simplicity. And last time we learned simplicity is not just doing less. It's not just working less, necessarily. But at the core, it is the will to do one thing. Many people are harried and frazzled these days because they are devoting their lives not to one main passion, but they are actually devoting their lives to a myriad of things. And yet the minute we try to go in two directions at the same time, we're in trouble. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. In other words, you can't serve two gods. He didn't say you shouldn't serve two masters. He said, you can't serve two masters. Trying to do so is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for a life that is out of control. If we want to break out of a lifestyle of complexity and pursue simplicity, the most fundamental decision that we must make is, what is the one thing I'm going to give my life to? What's the one passion I'm giving my life to? The Apostle Paul clearly articulated what the focus of his life is when he said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Paul says, I've made a decision. I'm living all out for Jesus. Which brings me to the question that I put out there last time. For you to live is what? Are you clear about what it is you're giving your life to? I can't stress this enough. How important it is for all of us to get clarity around this particular question. Because 
where you land the plane on this issue will not only impact your eternity, but it will also impact the trajectory of your life. Chip Ingram says, what drives the lives of many people today in our culture to exhaustion and to being overextended are these four words, bigger, better, faster, and more. Those four words, he says, drive our lives, drive our schedules, our relationships, even our souls. Our work world, but also the voices of our culture, push us to be everything, to do everything, and yes, to have everything. And that not only results in a fast-paced, complex world, but leaves us in a continual state of emotional and physical fatigue. Archibald Hart says, humans were designed for camel travel, but most people are now acting like supersonic jets. Most of us are living at way too fast a pace. The pace of modern life is stretching all of us beyond our limits. And we are paying for this abuse in the hard and painful currency of stress and anxiety. And people who have a hurried pace and an anxiety-laced life like this inevitably get depleted emotionally and physically and spiritually. And it's only a matter of time they begin to show the symptoms of depletion. You know that you're depleted when you're easily irritated. The smallest things at times set you off. You know you're depleted when you're resentful of those who, who just don't seem to care, who just don't seem to get it, and, you know, who... You, see you working your duff off, but just walk right by and not offer to be of any help at all. You know you're depleted when you're excessively critical of others. You see a couple of people laughing and joking at the water cooler and you mutter under your breath, you know, what a bunch of slackers. You know, if everybody in the company worked as much as they do, we'd have to shut the company down. You know you're depleted when you're having trouble sleeping at night. You're feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, anxious, fearful. You have thoughts and feelings that seem rational to you, but seem somewhat irrational to those who are close to you, including thoughts of feeling trapped, hopeless, thoughts of, 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 of incompetence, other symptoms of being depleted include overspending, overeating, overdrinking, and not just alcohol, but coffee and energy drinks. When you get depleted, some people escape into movies, magazines, pornography, and just surfing on the net for something to do. And in time, if we don't address this particular issue, we get so depleted we will do things that we, at one time in our life, would never have believed possible for us to do. Like having an affair or becoming abusive to the people that we care about the most. Well, God never intended for us to live this way. Whether we're employed 
whether we work as a homemaker or as a student or as a volunteer, God intended work to be a gift, a blessing, not a curse. Work was part of God's original design for us. We do something very God-like when we exercise the, the, the gifts and the talents that God has given to us. It gives us direction and purpose. But God never intended our work to be our all-consuming passion. He never intended for work to take the place of our time with Him or our time with our loved ones. He never intended work to rob us of sleep and to leave us in a continual state of emotional and physical exhaustion. And I say that because along with His gift of work, God also gave us the gift of rest. God gave us this gift in two forms. He gave us a day of rest, and he also gave us Jesus' rest. And we're going to look at those two in the time remaining. First of all, he gave us a day of rest. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from the work of creating that he had done. Now, it's important to note here that God did not rest here because he was tired. Or because he needed to restore his energy or strength the way that we do. He rested or ceased creating because he was done with creating. And also because he wanted to sit back and enjoy his creation. In my mind, I can picture the Father, Son, and Spirit sitting back and just going, man, we did real good here. This is great when they looked at the creation. God was also setting a pattern for us here. He worked for six days. And then he rested. He stopped creating. The passage says he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. To communicate a principle. Set aside one day a week to rest. To cease working. To cease doing what you always do. That is what the Sabbath means. It means to stop. To cease. Now here's the thing. If man hadn't rebelled against God, the Bible would consist of just two chapters. Chapters 1 and 2. Reading and studying the Bible would be so much simpler today. There would be no need for everything that followed. Including God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 in which God began the process of trying to bring all people back to himself, including the Ten Commandments, all the sacrifices and the ceremonies and the rituals, including the Sabbath law that we read about in Exodus 20 and Numbers 5. Even Christ wouldn't have had to come in the form of a man and die on the cross. Christ would never have had to establish the church because we'd all still be experiencing what Adam and Eve experienced before their rebellion in the garden. 
which is heaven on earth. What a beautiful picture of what God intended for his people in the beginning. And most significantly, we'd all be resting in God and enjoying him and one another forever. However, Genesis 3 tells us that our first parents decided to go their own way rather than God's way. They rebelled against God. And not only was their relationship with God and each other fractured, but evil and death entered the cosmos. And ever since that time, God has been on a grand mission. It is the overarching principle of the scriptures. He has been on a grand mission to bring all people back in right relationship with himself. Back to the place where we find our true Sabbath, our rest in him. Now when people read Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 in which God gives the Sabbath law to the people of Israel, people have all kinds of questions on whether we as Christians should be worshiping on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, and keeping it holy. Now I dealt with those questions a few years ago in my Old Testament in Focus series. And so just get part 27 and part 28, or if you're really cheap, just get part 28, and you can, you'll get the whole full meal deal on that particular issue. Most of you will remember the Old Testament focus series. Uh, it took about six months, uh, six years for us to get through it. Uh, some of you wished it was six months, but uh, it took a while. Now, the purpose of this message is not to get into all of that, but let me just say this. There is a difference between Sabbath rest and the Sabbath law. God gave the Sabbath law to the Israelites in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 to teach them the importance of ceasing from work one day of seven. He didn't want them to miss it. And he gave it to them for that reason, but also to point them to true Sabbath rest. And that is to find our ultimate rest in God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Sabbath law was really a shadow. It was like a picture of something that was better to come. Namely, the new covenant in Jesus Christ and the ultimate rest that we find in him. Colossians 2.13 says it so clearly. When you were dead in your sin and the circumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code, all the Old Testament rituals, all of that, with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Therefore, in other words, because of the truth that we've just read, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. It goes on to say, these are a shadow 
of the things that were to come, the reality, however, is found in Christ. Ray Steadman tells of the time when he was in his early 20s. He was engaged to a, a, a lovely girl who lived in another state, and for whatever reason, they hadn't seen each other for three to four years. And during that time, they wrote letters to each other, and in one of those letters, she included a picture of herself, which he promptly took and put it uh, in the desk in front of him so that he could uh, see that picture on a regular basis. And uh, he was glad to have that picture. But one day she came to see him and he saw her face to face. They were soon married. And now that he saw her face daily, the picture, though appreciated, really was no longer necessary. You see, that is exactly what happened to the Old Testament shadows, including the lamb that was slain as an offering, all the burnt offerings actually, the tabernacle, the, the high priest, and yes, the Sabbath. When Jesus came, the picture was no longer necessary. The weekly Sabbath law ended at the cross. Now make no mistake, Sunday has not replaced Saturday as the Sabbath. The Sabbath has always been Saturday and always will be because it's the seventh day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we get a glimpse of a worship service in the early church. And we're told that they met on the first day of the week, at times referred to in the scriptures as the Lord's Day. Christians began to worship on Sunday. And they set it apart for rest because Christ's resurrection happened on the first day of the week. In short, Saturday was set apart to give testimony to the Creator. Sunday was set apart to give testimony to the Redeemer. And so even though the shadow Sabbath or the Sabbath law that was given to the Israelites that we read about in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, even though the Sabbath law ended at the cross of Christ, the true Sabbath or the life of resting in God and a life of ceasing from work one day of seven, the way that God did in Genesis 2, that Sabbath continues today. To today. Hebrews 4.9 puts it so well. There remains then a Sabbath rest. Notice not a Sabbath law. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. The true Sabbath is not only ceasing from your work, but also ceasing from your human efforts, your own striving, your own good works to be acceptable to God. And depending totally, in other words, resting totally in the work of Jesus Christ, 
not only to save us from our sins, but to live, but to let him live his resurrection life through us. That is the essence of the true Sabbath. And so right here in Genesis 2, when God blesses the seventh day and makes it holy, he is teaching and he's modeling for us the importance of Sabbath rest. Ceasing from work, one day of seven. He's essentially saying to you and to me, look, I wired you up and Sabbath rest is as critical to your well-being as breathing is or as sleeping is. What air and what water is to your physical body, so time alone with God in Sabbath rest is for your soul. We are called to imitate God in Sabbath rest so that we stop trying to be like God. We need to be reminded often that we are not God that we are mortal beings and that without proper care we break. This is not true of God. He doesn't need a break, doesn't need a day off, doesn't need a vacation. He runs no risk of burnout or exhaustion or injury. He doesn't need sleep. He doesn't need a Sabbath rest but not us. <coughs> Excuse me. We need Sabbath rest no less than we need sleep. Oh, you can put off sleep for a while, but eventually it catches up with you, doesn't it? And it has its way with you. I mean, if you've ever seen an infant or a toddler, you know, resist sleep, you know, essentially it's, it's a version of what happens to us. A toddler sits there and, you know, you know I'm not going to go to sleep. Mm -mm 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 -mm. No, I'm going to do this. And then finally, down for the last time, you know, down for the count. But even if you abuse your body and you wear out your adrenal glands and you get to the place where you can't go to sleep at night at all, everyone knows something is wrong with you. You are not in a healthy place. You need medical attention. Because to, health, to be healthy means to be able to sleep. We understand that about sleep. But sadly, we don't understand this about Sabbath rest. Oh, we may understand that God says it's important to stop working one day out of seven, but far too many of us just don't take Him seriously. We forget the fact that when we sleep... The world gets along just fine without us. Even when we don't believe in God, when we surrender to sleep, we're acknowledging every 24 hours that we need a power greater than ourselves to look after things. And that one day, when we no longer wake up, wake up from our sleep, this world will carry on without us barely missing a beat. Someone will take our place in the corporation. Someone else will take our stuff and either keep it, give it away, or throw it out. 
And someone may even receive the love of our loved ones that was once directed to us. Well, God instituted Sabbath rest to teach us to trust him and to learn similar lessons to this. The worker says, but Lord, if I take a day off for Sabbath rest, I mean, there are so many things that I won't get done. And God says, I know. But will you trust me? The student says, but Lord, if I, if I take a day off for Sabbath rest, you know, I'm not going to get this paper done. And God says, I know, but can you trust me? I remember thinking that exact thing when I was in graduate school. Uh, my course load was incredibly heavy. And I remember hearing uh, a, a talk or something on Sabbath rest. And I decided that I was going to honor the Lord in this regard. And so I consistently just had my Sabbath rest on Sundays. And amazingly, when Monday came, not only was I more refreshed, I was more creative, I was more alive in my reading and in my thinking and in my writing. And I not only got my assignments done, but I often got them done before the deadline. God honors those who honor him. You see, my Bible tells me that our God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. The Bible tells me that he's in control and that he is a good and a gracious God. Now, if I believe that, then I can relax, I can sleep, and I can enjoy Sabbath rest. I can entrust all of you, our church, to him and rest. You can entrust your business. You can entrust your job. You can entrust your family to him and rest now if you don't believe that then you do have cause to worry to strive incessantly and to never sleep the scriptures tell me in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 that in all things God has my best interest at heart and that despite my circumstances if I love him and if I trust him he can be trusted to work all things together for my ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. In fact, the Bible says even when I blow it, he, takes, he can take any mess, he can take any failure and bring meaning from it. He can even make something beautiful out of the mess. Now, if I believe all of that, then, you know, I can let go of my fears, my concerns, and I can rest. You can entrust him with your fear of failure. You can entrust him with your feelings of inadequacy. And you can rest in his sovereignty. But you see, if you don't believe that, well, guess what? Then I guess it all depends on you. It's all on your shoulders. And you better get busy and work harder.
You see, we have to have a conviction about this. We have to believe that the God who wired us up knows what we need to live life fully. We, we, we need to know, believe that he knows what we need to be emotionally and physically healthy. That he knows uh, what we need to cultivate a healthy relationship with him and, and with those that we love. We need to believe that he knows what we need to avoid burnout. Mark Buchanan says, we need to repent. Which means we need to change our minds about this. And if we really change our minds, we will also change our ways. If we don't change our ways, we really haven't changed our minds. We haven't repented on this issue. Romans 12, 2, Paul Wright talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. The truth is we'll never change our ways until we first change our thinking, until we renew our minds. You know, makers of cars give you an operations manual. Typically, you find it in the glove compartment of your vehicle. And it tells you how to take care of your vehicle if you want maximum usage. You can blow the manual off if you want. I mean, you can put oil where it suggests you put water. You can put, you know, gas where it suggests you put oil. But then don't be surprised if your car stops functioning. It's no different with respect to Sabbath rest. We, we can blow it off. And unlike sleep, we can blow it off for quite some time. But over time, folks there will be a cost. So what might Sabbath rest or a day of rest involve? Well, first of all, it involves stopping. Stop doing what you normally do the other six days of the week. If you do physical labor, for example, the other six days of the week, cease from that kind of activity on your day of rest. If you sit at a desk a lot, or you read a lot, or you sit in meetings a lot, six days a week, well then cease from that. And do something different, perhaps something that's more active. The important thing is, is you let go of the routine, the obligations, the, the pressures, the deadlines. S sleep in. Take a good nap on your day off. I see a few of you already deep into that. That's good. <laughs> Wait a do Sabbath rest, yes. <laughs> Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Notice it says, He makes me lie down. You ignore a day of rest again and again. And one day you're going to lie down for a day, a week, a month, six months in the hospital. Not because you want to, but because you won't have a choice. You know, I used to feel guilty for taking a nap on my day off, but I'm getting over it. 
and you need to too. Colossians 1.17 says that God is holding the universe together. So you know what that means? That means it's not going to fall apart while I'm taking my nap. It's not going to fall apart when I take a day of rest. And even if God decides, you know, time's up and Jesus returns, whatever you didn't get done, guess what? It's going to make a big difference, isn't it? Oh, gee, you know. Didn't get that project done. Furthermore, Sabbath rest involves recharging emotionally. Sleep helps the body, but it doesn't do much for the spirit. And God wants us to revitalize our spirits as well. And one way to recharge your soul is through recreation or a hobby. This involves engaging in a number of fun activities, however you define fun. For some, having fun is going to amusement parks and going up and down around until you're sick and senseless. Others like camping, going for a hike and being chased by bears. <laughs> you're picking up a little bias, are you? You know, yeah, anyways. Some of the more sensible types, you know, they play sports, work out like I do. Still others create something. They, they paint a picture or they build something. Whatever helps you feel fully alive, gives you great delight, do that. So I'm wondering, are you taking time to create anything but an ulcer these days? When your inner spirit gets irritable, when your jaw gets set, when your mind gets fatigued, See, that's God's signal to you that you're due for Sabbath rest. You're due to get out and to do something totally different. And as you do, make sure you give it all you got. Play hard. Laugh a lot. Solomon said that laughter is good medicine. It flushes out the nervous system. You can also recharge your emotional batteries by spending time with family and close friends. If you're going to hang out with friends during uh, your day of rest, make sure that they are friends you actually enjoy being with. Friends who will fill up your emotional tanks rather than drain them. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 9 says, Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. Ladies. You missed it. I was expecting you to stand up and cheer. Come on. So men, on your day of rest, stay home, chill out, relax, you know, talk to your wife, play with your kids, or if you prefer, talk with your kids and play with your wife. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah. Whew. Man, you got to be on it. Come on. You only get these opportunities once in a blue moon. And wise, if you've been praying that your husband will take Sabbath rest more seriously, might I suggest 
It may help if you play with him too. <laughs> There's one guy back there who's on it. Yeah. So first, use your day of rest to stop and rest. Second, to recharge emotionally. And thirdly, use it to refocus spiritually. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. A Sabbath rest is a time to remind myself that God is God and I'm not. It's a time to get into his word and, and to uh, hear his voice and to remind myself of his love and acceptance of me that I am his forever child. I am a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm a royal priesthood. It's a time to remind myself that I serve a God who is faithful and can be trusted in all things. It's a time to remind myself of his promises and of his faithfulness to me over the years. It's time to read a good book, to listen to inspiring worship music, and just worship the Lord. Sabbath rest is a time also to refocus on the eternal matters of life. To reread your life credo statement, which I encourage everyone to do when you say, what's a credo statement? Well, it's essentially um, you writing down what's going to matter to you most when you breathe your last. What's going to mean the most in terms of what your life was all about when it's all said and done and writing that down. In Mark 3, 36, Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? The Lord wants us to ask that question and questions like it from time to time. And you know, Sabbath rest is a good time to ask ourselves those questions. It's time to revisit the question, for me to live is what? It's time to examine your priorities and to ask yourself, do the items in my calendar reflect what I say is most important to me? And this is why, by the way, attending worship services like this are important and helpful. Because it is still the one place, and I dare say the only place, where we're reminded of these kind of questions. Where we're reminded to number our days and to live for that which is going to matter in the end. No other voices do that. Every other voice is reminding us or challenging us just to live for today. Forget about tomorrow. In short, God wants us to stop, to read and reflect on his word, to open our spiritual ears to him and to get his perspective, get his priorities, um, and to align ours with his. These are just some of the ways that God gifts us with Sabbath rest, a day of rest. And then very quickly, God also gifts us with Jesus Christ. If for you to live is Christ, then it is important that you learn from him. 
while he was on earth, Jesus gave his highest priority to his relationship with his heavenly father. You wonder why there was a simplicity to his life? It was because of that. Even though he's God, he chose not to exercise his divine attributes while he was here on the planet, but rather to live as we do. He was fully human, which means he faced the same temptations and issues that we face. During his 33 years on earth as the God-man, Jesus lived every day in total dependence upon his heavenly Father to live in him and through him. And as a result, Jesus could say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, John 14, verse 9. Christ's miracles, his ability to read minds, his ability to predict the future was actually done by God the Father working through him in his role as the perfect man. While on earth, Jesus' consistent attitude and testimony was, by myself, I can do nothing, John 5.30. In John 5.36, he talked of the work the Father had given to him to finish. In John 12, he said, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. The entire time that Jesus was on this planet, he lived in total dependence upon his Father. And friends, that is instructive to us. In Matthew 11, we looked at that last time, when Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's teaching us that the key to true rest for our souls, the key to simplicity, is found in living in humble dependence on Him in the same way that He lived in humble dependence upon His heavenly Father. Practically, that means coming to Jesus more than once a week on our day of rest, as important as that is. Jesus is giving us the gift of himself here, and he's inviting us to come to him at all times, even as he would regularly go off to a solitary place and spend time with his heavenly Father. He's inviting us to daily go to a special place and to give him our burdens and to ask for his direction and to hear from him through our time in the scriptures. He's inviting us to intentionally ask him to do our day with us. To consciously walk with him and talk with him throughout the day. Asking him for wisdom when we need it. Asking him for power, for direction when we need it. And believing that he is not only hearing us, but as we interact and as we minister to other people, he is empowering us. He is using us to do what we could never do in our own strength. And as we do that, he promises us that we will find true rest for our souls. I'll close with this. Last time I told you that finding simplicity in my life is an ongoing struggle. Well, as I've been reading and researching, I've learned it's 
an ongoing struggle for most people and also for most pastors. In fact, I learned this week that over 1,500 pastors are leaving the ministry every month in the United States. 1,500. Either because of burnout or because of conflict and criticism that they're dealing with or because of moral failure. I came across an article this week by Dr. Tom Rayner who talked about reasons for pastors' burnout. And the top three reasons he gave are these. Number one, the first reason pastors burn out is the 24-7 mentality. Many pastors can't turn off work in their mind. Even on their days off, they, they're waiting for the next telephone call or, or the next crisis, and so they never relax. The second reason is conflict. When conflict, negativity, criticism are ongoing, pastors wear down. And thirdly is expectations. Dr. Rayner says no pastor can meet all the expectations of his church, but many try and burn out as a result. Now I share that with you because I know that in one form or another, most of you struggle with exactly the same three things. You battle letting go of work-related pressures and relaxing. You battle and struggle with the constant criticisms and negativity of others, be they in your immediate family or be they in the work environment. You struggle and you hate to disappoint people and to let them down. For many of us, there are all kinds of pressures that can come our way that tempt us to neglect Sabbath rest. All kinds of expectations and troubles and criticisms and conflicts that can tempt us to take matters into our own hands and to do more than we can handle. To go into overdrive. To guzzle down energy drinks and just to keep pushing and pushing to the neglect of the gift of rest that God has given to us. But based on my experience, I can tell you this. Whenever I have let the cares of life, the concerns of the church, the, the criticisms, the expectations that people have convince me that I needed to ramp it up, convince me to do more than God ever intended for me to do, convince me to take matters into my own hands and, and attempt to resolve them in my own strength. And as a result, I neglected not only Sabbath rest, but my daily time with the Lord, casting my cares on Him and trusting Him to do what I can't do. Whenever I've done that, there has been a cost. I found myself increasingly more exhausted and overwhelmed, and over time became dangerously depleted. I began to have trouble sleeping at night. I became more critical negative and irritable by God's grace I got through that but folks I can tell you that is not a good place to be I know that I disappoint some of you who ask to meet with me who ask to do things for you it kills me to say no to so many wonderful people to not be as available or perhaps even as visible as some people might like. But you see, I've been to the place 
where my tank was nearly empty. And I didn't like what it did to me. And I'm determined not to go back there again. I know what happens when you overdo it, when you neglect the gift of rest that God has given to us. But on the other hand, I've also learned this, and that is whenever I have stopped, stopped first thing in my day to spend even just 10 to 15 minutes with the Lord, to cast my cares upon Him, to review my day with Him and to ask Him for wisdom, asked him, Jesus, would you just be with me today? Would you do my day with me? Whenever I've stopped midday for five or ten minutes to remind myself that, that he is with me and ask him for his wisdom and his strength in that moment. Whenever I've stopped one day a week not for a partial Sabbath, but for a full Sabbath. And I've been intentional about it, planned for it. I can't explain it. But over time, my life became increasingly characterized by peace and joy, fullness and simplicity. If your life feels like it's spiraling out of control, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel overextended. I know that humanly it sounds counterintuitive, but I want to challenge you this week to stop and spend even just 15 minutes with Jesus and his word. Stop midday. And invite Jesus into your day. Ask him for his wisdom and his strength. And stop one day this week to do Sabbath rest. You do that for a month or two and see if your life isn't characterized a whole lot more by a peace and a simplicity and an inner strength that is beyond human understanding. May it be so to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love and needs to see that Jesus lived out in us. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? going to ask you to open your hands again before the Lord and just say, Lord Jesus, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? And Lord, what are you asking me to do? What are you asking me to change? Just talk with him about that right now.
Our Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the reminder that you offer us, Lord, a gift of rest. You offer us the Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would give us the courage, Lord, to do what you're calling us to do, that we would be faithful to you, oh, dear Lord Jesus. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.